we had a really hard time in the first year or so because we didn't know anything we didn't know how to <laughs> interview people we didn't know how to recruit anybody we we didn't even know how to build a website uh we had really dark days i mean we wrote resignation letters to each other that you know <laughs> i'm quitting and now you can take over this business but yeah you know i think things fell in place eventually because we always sort of try to identify the areas which would give us the results yeah. in the quickest possible uh, manner the low hanging fruits Thank you for joining us on Backable today. I really appreciate a young entrepreneur that's that had quite a journey over the last decade. And it, it's great for us and me and the listeners to hear a little bit more, I guess, in depth on how on earth did you get to the place you are and, and some of the amazing... Um, some of the amazing parts of the journey because it's not everyone that can scale a business as you have. But I, I, if you don't mind, do you mind if we sort of start in your words at the start of your journey so we can pick up on some of the, the things that you do differently? I think, you know, when we started this business, it was way back in 2014, 15. Uh, you know, I don't know if many of you know this, but me and my brother, Varun, uh, he's my younger brother. We started Design Hill together. You know, we come from a family of, you know, entrepreneurs, my father, my grandfather. So it was something that was all, you know, we had a real zeal for, you know, entrepreneurship, if you want to call that, just to do business or you wanted, you wanted to do something different. And uh, though we, we, we don't come from a technology background, I'm in fact a chemical engineer by education and I did my master's in business management and strategy. Uh, it was just something that came about because, you know, I was having a hard time finding quality graphic designers, getting branding work done for our family businesses. And my younger brother, in fact, he's a creative one. And he was, you know, having a hard time, you know, finding quality work as a freelancer. So when he came back from university, it was just something that we discussed and we felt that, you know, it was a huge problem, not only in India, but everywhere in the world, because it was difficult for people to find quality designs at affordable prices and for creative professionals to find quality work outside of their geographical, you know, areas, locations. Sure. And, and that's when we decided that, you know, it is something that we need to do. We didn't have any technology background. We didn't have any experience in starting a company, in setting up a company. And it was just something that we both really just wanted to do. And we sort of dived into it. So it had its pros and cons. Uh, we, had a really, uh, we, had, we had a really hard time in the first year or so because we didn't know anything. We didn't know how to <laughs> interview people. We didn't know how to uh, recruit anybody. We, we didn't even know how to build a website. It's just that we persevered. Uh, we had really dark days. I mean, we sort of wrote resignation letters to each other that, you know, <laughs> I'm quitting and now you can take over this business. But yeah, you know, I think things fell in place eventually because we, you know, we always sort of try to identify uh, the areas which would give us the results yep. in the quickest possible uh, manner, right? Uh, the low hanging fruits. We identified very early on that, you know, to, to grow this business, we need to go international first, you know, because uh, countries like United States, Canada, Australia, UK, people gave more value to design, to quality design, sure. to branding and all of that. And that is where our customers were to be found. And, uh, and you know, it was a chicken and egg problem for us because on one hand, we were looking for customers. On the other hand, we had to find quality creative professionals who would come onto our platform and, you know, find jobs on, on Design Hill. And, and therefore, you know, it, we, we figured out a lot of stuff. I mean, on the, while we, we were trying 
to acquire customers. We figured out that what were the places we could find designers. We built groups, we built communities, we started engaging with them on one side. And eventually, you know, uh, it was just about uh, listening to your customers and providing value. I think that was the most important thing because we kept speaking to our customers, whether that was through emails, through chat, through phone calls. We tried to figure out what were their pain points and we kept creating and innovating in that direction. And that is what today, you know, which eventually has led us to uh, have a platform that has five different services. We offer everything from DIY tools based on AI, machine learning to freelancing services to printing services. You know, we are a complete design to print platform and we can, we've catered to everybody, you know, from students to work from home moms to multinational companies. Let, let me let me jump in because I think a few of the things that you, you've probably said a hundred times over, over your journey and interviews, but I think there's probably some of the, the gold in there, particularly in the early stages, if you don't mind me taking it back to you and your no. brother, because I think interestingly in those dark times, there's generally a breakthrough, a few moments or even decisions in your brain when you've got nothing to lose. I generally find when I've been building companies, they're the times when things accelerate because you're like, you know what, I can't have it this way, so I may as well just go for it. Could you maybe take me into the stages where the company wasn't doing as well as it, it is now and how you mentally worked through those those stages? Yeah, I mean, it was really difficult. I mean, to be honest with you, the first and the most difficult thing for us was to actually build trust with customers. Yeah. And we're like all the way across the world. We were sitting in India and we were trying to acquire customers, give service customers that were United States with a time difference of 12 to 14 hours. Then, you know, nobody would really want to trust a company that, you know, is not from their country. I mean, we were sitting all the way across the continent. And I think one of the things that we really did, we figured out, you know, what led customers to, you know, trust in businesses. And I think that was about creating a 360 degree presence. Uh, we just didn't want to focus on our product. We focused on our community. We focused on our social media presence. We focused on getting good reviews from our customers online because you have to believe that a customer is very wise today. You know, they, they just, they're not just going to come to your website or your platform or your office and just going to spend money. They're going to research about you. They're going to sure. look you up. They're going to compare you with other competitors in the market. So we created that presence wherever there was an article about graphic design or wherever there was a comparison between any of our competitors or peers. We were always mentioned, you know, we were always present everywhere else you know so a lot of focus went into that because being a bootstrap business we didn't have the luxury to spend hundreds and thousands of dollars on branding and you know display ads or sponsorships and stuff which traditional businesses would do so we you know identified being in india one of the things we could do was we could provide 24 7 customer support because the workforce is relatively cheaper here right so we we had people, even till date, we offer 24-7 customer support. So you, we have, you have customer agents wow. on live chat, on a toll-free number. You know, we reply, we try to reply to emails in less than 12 hours, which is pretty remarkable for industry standards. Yeah. And I think, I think those things in line with the kind of impression that we were creating, the presence we were creating in terms of online reviews. Now, every customer that we, you know, so it was a hack. And we still do it till date. Whenever a customer gives us a four or five star rating on a platform, you know, once they use our service, yeah. so they see a pop up with my face, and I ask them that you know a review from you would really make a lot of difference and it'll help yeah. us grow our business. So we just put that same testimonial that they give us on our website. We put it on a clipboard and we give them a link for two or three review sites like Trustpilot, 
or yeah. you know uh, other review sites and they just go and actually a lot of those guys they actually go and post those reviews themselves the ones given to us on our platform they give it to us on these review websites and if you see our ratings we have 9.8 out of 10 and you know out of 15000 16000 reviews online and i think these things really make a lot of difference you know when a customer is trying to make a choice between you and your competitor they want to see how satisfied previous customers have been what kind of uh, responses what kind of reviews they've had and i think we focused on these things a lot in the beginning because it was a hard time we just couldn't get customers in we had to go yeah. out and you know be everywhere the customers would be in the most economical manner and i think that's what we did initially a lot and we continue to do that in fact even till today is there an obsessiveness around customer satisfaction even looking at the way to leverage reviews i mean you have to have people that are happy in order to execute your strategy well and thank you i mean it's a really great strategy to share with all our listeners but have you always been a customer centric type of ceo very much i mean in fact even today so i'll tell you another thing what we do so i told you about the reviews that we get which are four stars or five yeah. stars but if in case we get a review which is one star or two star even on our website i get that message instant on my email it's forwarded to me that very moment and we have yeah. a group which is for customer advocacy we have the customer success manager the client servicing manager and myself my brother and those issues are taken up instantly the customers are given a call we try to remedy the issue there and then if they're not satisfied with the service we actually go out of way to refund their money and give the service again to them for free so you know wow. so the idea is that you know we just don't want to have even a single customer that is unhappy because end of the day what we realized as a bootstrap business was that acquiring customers is expensive and having a unhappy customer is even more expensive right because yeah. they are going to go and talk about a business to maybe four or five 10 different people and if they're going to give us a bad review and they're not satisfied with the service for us it's going to cost us much more so we have to value each customer to that extent and you know we really focus a lot on you know satisfying them making them happy even if in some cases in some instances we make actually make a loss on certain transactions but having happy customers is really important So tell me this in terms of community building because I I assume what you were saying before around finding the designers which is one of your communities or stakeholders you've got your obviously customers in different areas which must be very interesting when you're growing globally at the same time the nuances of cultural differences and the way people behave but do you think maybe if we could pick your brain a little bit in terms of your thoughts on community building with such a diverse I guess range of people but if you got some tips around how you would go about building a new community regardless of what industry you're in I think the two fundamental things that one has to look at when they're trying to build a community one is you need to really understand where your community goes you know which platform you know so for example if you're looking at designers creative professionals we identified that facebook and instagram were the two platforms where the designers were really active they were actively posting their content they were actively engaging with content on these platforms and that is where we focus solely as far as building communities uh, for creative professionals was concerned yeah. on the other hand with businesses we realized that linkedin and facebook were more for entrepreneurs marketing professionals right and that's where they spend a lot of their time so initially identifying the platforms where you because being an online platform you have to find digital you know entities where we can find our customers and you know potential users and secondly then the most important part is that you have to identify 
what are their pain points what are their problem areas what are their ambitions and sort of map them out and have solutions for those so as a creative platform though we can always pitch about and talk about you know how great design can help a business but not everybody is really interested in that when an entrepreneur is starting a journey he's more interested in how can he acquire more customers how can he improve his seo how can they uh, satisfy their customers and so what we've always focused on is that we have to focus on the topics that eventually will help them grow we do that by having blog posts we do that by having events uh, we do virtual events we've done about more than 300 virtual events in the last couple of years uh, for our entrepreneurs for uh, marketing professionals for creative professionals and done by industry experts you know we invite experts from all fields and areas which yeah. are completely unrelated to design actually yeah. but they are focusing on the pain points that these people are looking at so when we actually do that you know we are sort of providing value to them for free and that is where you they, they build a sense of loyalty they come to a platform and inadvertently they discover a platform they see okay okay you know this is a company that actually is not only about selling their services but they are also trying to help us as an entrepreneur they are also trying to help us as a creative professional and that is what i think makes a lot of difference uh, uh, and in building a community and we've been successful at it you know we've been successful at building two or three different types of communities with people from all over the world different backgrounds different experiences and i think that's the key because you have to provide value and you just can't go about pitching your service to them because then it not then you're not actually building a community then you're just trying to sell yourself isn't it so as you guys evolved your communities and build up the stakeholders was it a progressive accelerated growth for your company or were there different sort of, I mean, you talked a little bit earlier about some growth hacks and the things that you looked for, but was, was that an obsession for you in the early stages around just constantly filling that pipeline with new, obviously being a platform you live and die by your, your two major stakeholders. Is that always obsessive for you in terms of the whole journey? Yeah, I mean, you have to be obsessive about acquiring customers, about retaining customers, about increasing the lifetime value of your customers. I think being an entrepreneur, I think you're obsessive about everything uh, because, I mean, you have to be because it sort of inherently comes from within. I mean, we're always thinking about what thinking about what is happening in the industry. What products are we offering? But is there somebody else who's coming up with a better product or a better service or how the technology is changing today? And, you know, you keep evolving. You keep evolving your services, you keep evolving your service levels, you keep evolving your product and you keep looking at your customer, understanding what are their needs and how they are also changing. So you have to be obsessive about everything. I think just being obsessive about one thing will not work that well because yeah. you have to look at the complete journey of a customer. You have to look at the landscape that is changing globally in your industry and your field how customer preferences are changing. I mean, five years back, people were scared about even sourcing graphic design online. And today they're going online and doing creating designs on their own with tools that are available to them and printing stuff online. And, you know, everything is happening online. So we've tried to, you know, adapt to that. We've tried to be like one step ahead of that. And yeah. that is why, you know, we've evolved from only a freelancing platform to a complete design to print platform because that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to be there for our customer at every step of their journey. I think that's incredible, Rahul. And I really um I smile because I, I love the fact that you're you're traditionally, you know, trained as a chemical engineer and now you're in a essentially a machine learning platform and you're starting to deliver sort of 
even this touching on the new era of artificial intelligence and logo design and some of the things that you guys are pushing now. But could you take me through how does one with no traditional tech background, where do you start in terms of wanting to build a platform? I mean, being bootstrapped, it's not like you could go and throw a million dollars at someone and say, build me this. But how did you even begin putting together a platform? If it's about a technology platform, I think uh, one of the things that you have to do is that even if you have a great concept, you may have the idea for it and you may have the will to execute it. You should have somebody, whether you find a co-founder, whether you find uh, somebody who's technically you know, proficient yeah. enough to carry you through and you can offer them ESOPs or you know, yeah. a, a minority stake or whatever it may be. But you need to have somebody with technical experience, with the know-how and the knowledge to build, at least to, you know, to get you through the initial phases. And then you can, you know, recruit your team and you can have uh, more people. That was a mistake we made, to be very honest with you, because we didn't have that experience. And we actually initially, the first few months, we really outsourced the the development of the platform, you know, to an external agency. And we screwed it up big time, you know, and we were bootstrapped and we... Wasted a lot of money in that and we had to redo the whole thing uh, by having people in-house. So I wouldn't really recommend unless you just build a platform that is just to sell. So you can just start a website on Shopify or something like that, you know, if it's an e-commerce product. If it's an actually a tech-focused technology business that you're looking at, then, you know, you need to have somebody that you can rely on that has that experience. Even if you have to give them an equity stake in your business, uh, make them a partner. Uh, if you trust in their abilities. And I think that's really, really important. I I wouldn't recommend anybody just getting into a tech-heavy business if they don't have any knowledge of coding or development or programming or whatever they call it. Tell me, you you touched on it being a mistake outsourcing the tech at the start. But in hindsight now, looking back at how you built the company, is there anything that stands out for you in terms of how you would do it differently with the knowledge you've gained from the development of this company? When you look back, is there anything specifically that you would change your approach to now? In terms of development, yeah, probably what I would do is that, you know, because we were bootstrapped and I think one of the biggest advantages that you get as a bootstrap business is that you get the time. You get the time to make mistakes, to be honest with you, because, yeah. you know, you, you can make mistakes and then you learn from them. And it's not always the case if you're funded and you have investors because you're on a different spree then. But one of the things that I would probably change is that initially for the couple of services that we were building out, we should have gone with the MVP, you know, minimum viable product, a prototype. We should have built out a smaller version of it and then tested it out with our family, friends or potential customers and then grown and scaled the product. Initially, we spent far too much time in developing the first perfect product. You know, we wanted everything in it. We wanted to have all the features. We wanted to have everything. And I think that came from inexperience because we didn't have to have the best product. We needed to have a functional product that served a purpose. And then if there was acceptability, the customers would have accepted it. Then we should have spent more time developing it, right? So the initial year that we spent was just in developing the perfect product with every sort of feature and solution that we wanted to give to our customers. And that was really not needed. That's what I would recommend that if anybody is really looking at starting any new venture, I think the first thing that they should do, they should test it out, test the market, see whether there is a taker for your product, your service, at what price, whether it's even needed, you know, are you solving a problem or is it just something that you think people want? You know, I think those things, a lot of those questions get answered the moment you put something out in the market. And I think that's what you should do. If you're bootstrapped, especially that you should try and go to market as quickly as possible 
with the most basic version of your product and i think that would probably give anybody the best you know outlook as to how they should grow and in which direction they should scale their business How do you see yourself as a better entrepreneur now from this experience? Are there things that have fundamentally shifted from you from a mindset or the way that you see business now from this experience of growing such a great company? Um, I mean, obviously, because, you know, being an entrepreneur, especially in the technology space and being a startup and then being bootstrapped, every day is a challenge. I think you learn a lot because you try so many things. And uh, one of the things I actually do always sort of regret or feel about is that we never had a mentor. We never had somebody who could show us the direction or, you know, who could give us that experience that Mm -hmm. would have saved us a lot of time and effort. But having said that, I feel that because we were, you know, we were doing this the way we were doing it. We had the time. We could afford to make mistakes which otherwise we might not have been able to. And, you know, those mistakes actually, we created a culture with that. You know, in our organization, we actually promote people to, you know, go out and try things, to actually not be afraid of making mistakes or, you know, not to be afraid of failure, because that way you learn a lot. You learn a lot about what is working, what is not working. You know, you progress much more faster if you're willing to make mistakes and move on. Because the fear of making mistakes or fear of failure, I think that really drags organizations down. So as an entrepreneur, I feel that I've obviously I've learned a lot. And I know there's so many experiences here where, you know, I know there are things that I should have done in a different way or I could have done in a mm-hmm. different way. And those things, you know, they always stay with you when you make mistakes and you regret things or you, you know, you understand or realize things later on that, you know, it could have been done in a better way or a different way. I think those always remain with you in your memory. And I think they make you a better person. They help your decision making to be better. And I think that's the biggest thing. Yeah. Bro, even though you've got to this sort of point of success, do you still have fears as an entrepreneur? And I know they're not fears that distract you, but now that you've got something that's valuable, that's working, how do you sleep at night? I look at myself personally and I call myself and I've got a negative disposition because every day I wake up assuming the world will collapse and that drives yeah. me. But how do you sleep at night and how do you wake up in the morning? I think it's, it's, about, it's about having a vision. The biggest thing is that, you know, if you're content in life, if you feel that you've achieved whatever you have, I think you probably sleep in a very content manner. You know, you sleep nice and, you know, sleep like a baby. <laughs> But if you have dreams and if you have ambitions and if you feel that there is so much more to do and if that drives you, I think that automatically, you know, you don't have to really think about it. You're just so driven, whether you're sleeping or you're traveling or you're waking up in the morning because it's it's the fear of missing out, isn't it? There's somebody out there who's working harder than you and you don't want them to be there before you. So that's that's the thing. Yeah. Do you still enjoy it? Yeah. I mean... See, it's a challenge, isn't it? I mean, I don't say that I enjoy every day of it, every moment of it, because sometimes it's not that enjoyable because, you know, you can't have a vertical graph all the time. You know, there'll be ups and downs. Yeah. Uh, but on the whole, I really enjoy it because it's liberating. I know you get freedom and, you know, to do what you think. And we've always had this thing, you know, we wanted to build something tangible and something long lasting. That was something that me and my brother, we always wanted to do. You know, for us, it was not about building a $100 billion business. It was about building something that is everlasting, that is tangible, that makes a difference. And to be honest with you, you know, with Design Help, we've been able to achieve that to some extent. I think there's still a long way to go, but mm. we have over 250,000 uh, designers, pretty professionals on our platform, right? 
Yeah. And they're making an impact to their lives, you know, their livelihoods. There's a lot of people there who are serving their entire family through the, the earnings that they're getting from our platform. So in some ways, it gives you that satisfaction that, yes, you're building something which is just not about numbers and scale and stuff, but that you're making an actual impact in a lot of people's lives. And I think that is something that also is pretty great. Yeah. So tell me this, about 15 years ago, I visited India and it was a life-changing experience. Tell me about the new India. It's an interesting next 50 years because you're a young entrepreneur in this emerging, amazing world superpower. How is it in India in the entrepreneurial scene at the moment? It's, it seems hungry to me. Very hungry. I mean, they're, they're, it's like they've never eaten anything. I mean, because you have startups coming everywhere. I'm in New Delhi, yeah. uh, the capital of the country, and we are the second biggest startup region. And everybody's an entrepreneur. You know, I think it's inherently there's yeah. something in the genes because, you know, that's what has basically driven this country to where it is today because we're not a very rich country, but we're culturally and in a lot of ways, we're, we're quite rich. But I think people are really hungry here for yeah. to do something, to make something of their lives. And yeah. I think that is the fundamental reason why on the whole, the whole ecosystem, you know, uh, grows because people just have that instinct, the entrepreneurial instinct that they have today. And you find people, you know, not only in technology, but, you know, people are coming, always coming up with innovative ways to make a living. People are very willing to start their own businesses, whether it's, it could be a restaurant or a shop. And there's all sorts of innovation happening here. So it's a very exciting time to be here because we see a lot that is happening, the, the lot that is changing now. I mean, in fact, if you came in 15 years back, you know, you would have seen a huge gap in a lot of stuff that was probably available there. But now if you see almost everything is here, whether it's services or products or technology, we have come in par with the rest of the world in terms of all of that. So there's a lot of innovation that is happening, which is actually now being exported to the rest of the world. So it's a really great time. And, you know, there's a lot of development. I think you'll be really surprised if you come here now. A lot of great cities, a lot of great food. I mean, it'd be great for you to come here. I, I agree. And, and not that we, we've got any affiliation with the Indian tourism, but anyone who's listening to this, if you haven't visited India, you should be visiting India. It is a bucket list thing for every person on the planet. There's something very special about India. There's so much diversity. I mean, you go north to south, east to west, you know, you have yeah. the Himalayas, mountains, you have deserts, you have the waterways and people of all colors and races. I can't imagine any other place in the world having so many different languages, types of food. I mean, I can't understand how the people in India myself. So, Ro, I really appreciate your time and, and some of the things you've shared. I, I just know will be invaluable for our listeners. But let me ask you this question. If as a young entrepreneur who's maybe into the game or been running a company for years and, and got stale, what would you advise people is the key thing for growing a business? Because you've obviously had consistent rapid growth. You've got clear vision with what you're doing. But if you were mentoring someone who's in business or ready to go to the next level, what was the mindset shift for you that you did want to take on the world? Because it's not common that people say, I'm going to start globally. That's a superpower. <laughs> I mean, for us, that was more of a need because you know, that's where our customers were. So yeah. we had to completely base our business around that. But for anybody who's starting out, who's looking to scale, I think one of the things which I would really, really recommend is do your profit and loss statements, you know, accounting every month. I think a lot of people don't do that. Yeah. You'll be surprised how many people don't do that in the technology in the startup space because, you know, they're flushed with money and it's not theirs in a way. I mean, investors yeah. are giving. So the mindset is completely always on growth, 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 growth. 
even at the expense of profitability or you know economic yep. viability end of the day see a business has to make money and that is what what a business is so if your business is not capable of making money then i think it's something that you shouldn't be doing a lot of people don't focus on that especially in the technology space these days and i think that is one of the things that you should always look at that for whatever inputs you are putting in whether that's your time effort cost you should be able to make a profit on that end of the month isn't it so we have a system in our organization where every month we do a profit and loss and only from the profits that we make we actually reinvest that money into our business so that is why you know we've been able to scale and grow I couldn't agree with you more. It's absolutely not done well in smaller businesses, particularly in startups. It's this understanding of as soon as they make some money, comes straight out of the business and it just kills it, right? <laughs> yes, yes. You know, you can have 100,000 customers. So in fact, a couple of days back, there was an article, uh, there's this company in India, it raised about $100, $130 million. It burnt about $20 million last year and it didn't have a revenue of one rupee, even <laughs> one cent, right? <laughs> I'm sure they're doing something great. And I'm, I don't want to like comment on that. But for me, it just doesn't make sense. I wouldn't be able to sleep at all. Forget about sleeping peacefully. Because if I knew that, you know, I was losing money with every breath I'm taking, it would be like really hard for me. You know, as an entrepreneur, you can look at all the numbers and you can tune your mind to that. But at the end of the day, if a business is not making money, it's not going to take you anywhere. So I think that's one of the fundamental things that any entrepreneur should look at. And I think if you do that, if you're able to actually focus on your efficiencies, focus on making your business more viable, I think in the long term, it'll hold them in a good stead because a lot of entrepreneurs face that issue after they've scaled a business yeah. unprofitability because then they don't know how what to do. They have hundreds of people that are working for them. They don't know how to cut down on marketing budgets. And then, you know, it's it's mass firing that happens and all of that layoffs, and which is not, it's just ugly. So think about it that, you know, it's your own money, even if it's your investor's money and try and be a little more miserly with it and try and make a profitable business or at a unit level, at least, even if you're growing slightly slowly as compared to what people would want you to. Yeah, we, we have a very similar thing in companies that I own that it's never our money. It's the business's money, even if it's my money. And you have to treat that as soon as it's gone, you've lost it. And there needs to be that discipline. I couldn't agree with you more. I think without that, it's just a matter of time before yeah. you hit a wall where someone else is yeah. going to come over and take it over for next to nothing because you didn't know your numbers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so tell me this, what's the next decade look like for you? Uh, for us, you know, we've done a lot in the last couple of years in terms of new services and products. So we just launched a tool called Design in Studio. We're really excited about it because it took us two years to actually develop it. A lot of AI, machine learning. We're actually going to be catering to more than 200 design categories. We will have millions of design templates for users. It's in a beta version right now. So people can actually use it for free and you know uh, make use of it. Uh, we're really excited about that. And then we also launched our print-on-demand platform. You know, we wow. have already have 500,000 SKUs on it. Everything from t-shirts to phone cases to mugs, business cards, anything can be printed. And all of these things actually even custom printing as well as designs which are created by world-renowned artists. So we handpicked artists from around the world. And those guys have actually created some really amazing artworks that are on these products. So, you know, for us, the, this is the way to go. You know, we're looking at DIY uh, because technology is enabling people to do stuff online themselves. So DIY and uh, print on demand. I think these are the two things that we're really focusing on. And I feel that 
I don't know what 10 years will, what will happen in 10 years, but this is something for sure for the next couple of years for us. Because, you know, things change too much, yeah, too fast. Uh, and you don't know what will happen in 10 years. And I guess this is a nice place for the business to really be looking at these diversified revenue streams and, and something else. It must yes. feel nice as the, the founder now to actually look that your business has so many assets that you don't need to rely on one core thing to generate everything. That must be a nice feeling for you. It's a nice feeling. Because of the fact that, you know, when we started our business, we were only doing one thing and we were heavily reliant on Google. It was really scary because, you know, we just felt that if Google pulls the plug on us yeah. someday and, you know, you can't communicate with them, you know, we'll be out of business. We'll be out of everything. Yeah. So we had to build different revenue streams. So, you know, in fact, during the last year with the whole pandemic and everything, one of the services did twice as well, whereas one service actually went down to almost zero. We were able to really... Yeah. manage that and we were able to recover from that and balance it out in a pretty great way and it really showed us how important it is to be a little diversified to have different revenue streams in your organization and your business because with so many things happening around the world these days you know you cannot rely on just one revenue stream because it can be a challenge if something goes wrong then that is why the focus is on you know not further diversification but we've already diversified so growing those verticals further as much as we can Amazing. And just to finish off, I'd like to ask you, are you still in business with your brother? Yeah. Yeah. We live in the same house. <laughs> yeah, amazing. How, how is it being? Because I'm also in a, a family business, my wife and I. So we, we, we have a laugh and a discussion with those in family businesses. But I assume your experience has been a very positive one working closely with family. Yeah. I mean, we've evolved as, uh, uh, I think, as entrepreneurs, as brothers, and as probably on some days enemies, because we had our differences as well. So, you know, we've understood how to deal with those also, you know, differences of opinions. Yeah. And end of the day, it is always the case that we'll end up doing probably what the other person is saying, even though we may not agree with them at the onset. Yeah. Uh, but we have sort of understood now to take a step back, to listen to the other person. And eventually, I think more or less, more or less, I think we do what is right. Yeah. You know, uh, we are not afraid to say our mind. We are not afraid to be critical. Not to be overcritical is something we've learned. Uh, sometimes, you know, you can just flow, uh, get into the emotion and you can just say something. But I think we've grown as entrepreneurs. We've sort of, you know, understood what are our fortes as humans. We focus our energies on those rather than, you know, coming into our each other's way. I think that has really helped. Uh, so I look at a few things of our business. Varun looks at certain other aspects of our business and wherever needed, you know, we don't be making decisions together. Mm. And I think that has really helped us, you know, and... Uh, being brothers also, I think it's a good thing because we are working together and then we are, you know, at home also at the same time. So, uh, but though we don't talk about work anymore and one of the side effects is that we don't chill much anymore. We see so much of each other, uh, you know, during office, you know, we don't want to be in each other's funds we come back. So, so probably that's the downside of it, but it's good. I mean, it, I think it, I would not have it any other way. Yeah. Well, Raul, on, on that note, and I again, I appreciate your time and getting to get some insights for our listeners. They're going to be extremely um, excited to hear and, and follow your journey from this point forward. But thank you for joining the Backable community and, and sharing it all with us. It's been great to have you on and uh, a real pleasure to speak. Hopefully, we'll um, catch up for a Luxor in India one day. Yeah, you know, you'd be my guest. I would really love for you to be there. It'd be really great. Thank you so much, Tim. I had a great time today. It was really fun. Thank you very much. And um, for everyone who's interested to find out more about the business and Raul's journey, check the links below and jump on the platform. It's something well worth looking at. Raul, thanks again and look forward to seeing you again.
Well, that's the show for this week. Thanks for listening. And of course, if you head on over to backable.ai, you can access all the downloadables we've put together. Now, if you want to stay up to date with all things Backable and Philodomo, then make sure to join our Facebook group and follow us on one or all of the platforms you can find in the show description below. As always, if you have enjoyed this week's podcast, please don't forget to like, subscribe and leave a review. That's all from us for now. Have a great week and we look forward to speaking with you next week. Bye.